0: Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi sisters, I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout, we know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads.
1: Hello my fellow bibliophiles, it is Mads, and here we are on month four of the OKCIS book club. Hopefully if you're listening to this you have read Rock the Boat by Beck Dory Stein, which was July's book club pick. But if you have not, do not worry because I'm going to quickly summarize the book before getting into the conversation with Beck herself. We recently joined Geneva, which is an amazing community app where we share all of our book recommendations, get updated on the latest book club pick, and share thoughts on recent reads. We're also going to be starting mini video calls in there so all of us can chat about the book of the month along with the author episode, like a real virtual book club, my dream. There are so many awesome women in there, so we'd love to have you in the community as well. The link to join can be found in the show notes and on our Instagram link in bio. All right, July's book club pick was Rock the Boat, the quintessential cozy summer read. Three old friends, Kate, Miles, and Ziggy, return to their seaside hometown amid upheaval in their personal lives. Kate's Manhattan life, glitzy, glamorous, completely implodes when her long-term boyfriend breaks up with her out of the blue. She ends up back where she grew up in a small beach town of Seapoint. She creates a plan to get back on her feet by saving up to move back to Manhattan and get her life back on track. She ends up working several local jobs, all while running into characters from her past. Ziggy, who stayed in Seapoint all this time and is dealing with the recent death of his father and basically how to keep his legacy alive. Meanwhile, Miles, who has been deemed the Prince of Seapoint, returns home to prove to his mother that he's capable of taking over the family business as well as trying to help his childhood best friend, Ziggy, with certain financial troubles. As the summer continues on, long buried secrets emerge, threatening to break the bonds of the three friends and also the landscape of the beachside community. It's heartwarming, witty, and the perfect addition to your beach bag. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's discussion on Rock the Boat with Beck Dorystein. Hi. There you are. Hello, Miss Beck. Hi, Maddie. How are you? Long time coming. <laughs> oh, I... I'm delighted to speak with you. I am I'm so excited. We've been internet friends for a while uh, because I basically like spammed you and stalked you uh, after the corner of the oval. And to this day, it is the one book that I recommend to Every person that comes to me and says, hey, I'm in a reading rut, what should I read? I'm like, from the corner of the Oval. Thank you, Maddie. It's the best. It's the best. And so I was so excited to hear that you have ventured into fiction, and we're going to talk about Rock the Boat. First of all, it's centered around a small like, vacation-centric town. I went to high school in Coronado in San Diego. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this town, but it felt so much like C point to a degree that I was like getting PTSD while I was reading the book. It also gave me a little bit of Stars Hollow vibes from Gilmore Girls and there's this cast of characters and like local celebrities that make up the essence of the town. So talk to us about the inspiration for the town because I know that Sea Point in the book is a fictional town but it's obviously somewhat based on something that, that you've grown up with or vacationed at. Yes, so first Coronado, how close is that to the seals or the sea lions? That's in La Jolla. Okay. So like 25 minutes but Coronado is an island basically in the south of San Diego. Yeah, it's where there's a huge naval base there. So they have a little island. It is literally Sea it's Seapoint. It's the smallest. We all rode our bikes to high school. We all like rode our bikes around the town. There's like little golf carts that people ride. Like it's that type of vibe, you know? Can you only get there by boat or can you drive? There's a bridge. Okay, so Seapoint, the inspiration for Seapoint was basically I grew up outside
2: of Philly. And so we, a lot of people in the Philly suburbs, go to quote unquote, the shore, South Jersey, Central Jersey, it's all coastline on that beautiful, that beautiful state. So yeah, I grew up going to Cape May Point, which is the southernmost point of New Jersey. You can see Delaware from the ocean, which is a huge bragging point.
1: And
2: I I mean, yeah. So every summer I was there, which means my sister was doing junior lifeguards when she was five. I was working at a pizza place when I was 14 and just seeing as I grew older and I got to spend more time there in the off season and being more sensitive to like, this is what it's like to be a tourist. This is what it's like to be a summer local. This is what it's like to be a local Um, and becoming friends with a bunch of locals through working at all these different restaurants. It was just like, this is the most magical place to live. And also I can see how it would be so claustrophobic. Um, And a bunch of my friends who are from there are like, you have to make peace with a few things. One, you have to make peace with like your relationship to tourists, which is tourism drives the local economy, but also they mess everything up and they clog up traffic. And also it's, yeah, you're right by the ocean. You get to see the ocean every day. And also a lot of times when you're there and you're living there, it means you don't get to see the ocean every day because you're working.
1: I relate to this a lot because Coronado, although there is a, you know, it is an island. So there is a physical like (laughs) water around you so when I went to high school there I didn't lived there my whole life but I know obviously m- all of my friends did and it is incredibly sheltered it's an incredibly insulated community which yes of course is so bittersweet and I remember all of us you know leaving and venturing out for college it was a huge shock to people because that was all they knew was this little local town and it's funny you say about you know tourists coming in because we used to call them zonies they were like from Arizona they would come to Coronado for the summer and we would be like oh my god they're coming in in packs and like there were just certain spots and like there's that one restaurant in the book the ramble i think that you know it's like a local spot that none of the tourists know like we have all of that so i totally relate to this sense of small town but then there's like this outside force that comes in and like how do you reconcile with that it's so true and something i want to bring up is you know we see kate go through like a lot of Poor decisions, in my my opinion, um, in regards to Thomas and knowing her self worth, and then you know you see her come to this realization that what really matters in life is this local community, this seaside town, and and maintaining its spirit. Why was that important to convey? So we meet Kate Campbell in the beginning, and
2: the first chapter I struggled so much with because it was like how do I make her sort of the embodiment of everything I wrestle with and everything I can't stand that sometimes I worry I'm sort of succumbing to as far as societal pressures and you know performing a certain way on social media blah 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 all these things and then also like Mm -hmm. being in a relationship and being in the perfect relationship and all of these veneers that we feel like we have to have glossy and set up for ourselves especially by the time we're in our 30s and I just thought it was so important to sort of make her just barely palatable in the beginning and it's like (laughs) that's really dangerous territory right because you want to hook your reader in the beginning but it was like we need to see this character arc and so much of that derives from I feel like I won't speak for anyone else but I definitely have encountered two types of friends in my life one are like the really cool ones that I think are so glamorous and they've got so much going on. And I'm like, I wish I could be more like them. And I actually don't feel that great about myself. I'm trying to impersonate them and be someone else. And then I've got the Mm -hmm. people where I can be in all sweats and my hair looks disastrous and it doesn't matter. I still feel like my best self with them because it's like, oh, I'm just like, I can hang uh, intellectually and I'm funny. All these things that it's because of the people I'm surrounded with. And so the same goes for Kate, where it's like, she needs to get back into this place where she's with people who don't care about the vacations she gets to go on and they just, they care about her. And so they bring her back to her true self.
1: Yeah. It's very apparent to me because I think most people struggle with that type of dichotomy. Like you are trying to present yourself and get to a certain status in life, but then also why is that important to you? What's the actual root cause of you trying to get there? And it's usually societal pressures or ego or, you know, presentation on social media. And so finding that community that you can just kind of shed all that with is amazing and I hope every person can realize that and has that to me it is Coronado you know as bittersweet as it is it's just like there is this deeper sense of of that community and also to me it's I kind of feel it with my USC friends and people that I went to college with like there is that I can be my full authentic self with you and my whole self. And it doesn't matter what type of status or, or, or this that we're, we're claiming to. So that's, that's really interesting that you, you made that very clear through that.
2: Yeah. Part of what also brings her back to herself, isn't just the people who know her and care about her, regardless of what's going on in that moment or her job at the time. But it's also the fact that she finds self-worth through her employment. And it's, you know, It's working in a library and it's slinging drinks behind a bar where she worked before she even went to college. So in the beginning, she has this ego of like, I did this in high school when I didn't even have a degree and now I'm doing this again. This is so lame. And then she gets behind the bar and she's like, but I actually do love this work. I'm very good at this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge part of it, too, is that if we kind of figure out what sets our own hearts on fire, then we go into situations social, professional, whatever. And we feel really good about who we are. And so it's kind of like
1: whatever you throw at me, I feel, I know that I can go into this workspace and own it. Absolutely. And I know we're jumping all around, but I do want to talk specifically about the transition that you had from the corner of the oval to fiction, obviously in from the corner of the oval, it's nonfiction, it's you, you're the main character. And I'm sure as the book, you know, reached heights of fame and and everything and popularity you were having to kind of be at that center has it been refreshing to not have you as the main character or something that people are talking about your actual personal life and was that really the reason that you kind of ventured into fiction or is this something that you always wanted to do
0: one of the most surprising side effects of postpartum for me was that my hair started shedding right around the crown of my head Now I have these random baby hairs sticking out near my forehead that I just can't figure out what to do with.
1: Yeah, I keep
0: asking you to tame those down, but they seem to be very stubborn. Yes, I know, Mads. After a few months of me not seeing improved hair growth, I knew I needed to give my hair some extra strength and support. Enter Nutrafol. I just got the Nutrafol's postpartum supplement and I'm so excited because I'm committed to supporting my hair health now that I'm postpartum. The next six months is going to be me and Nutrafol. I might not be a mother
1: like Scoutala is, but as you sisters know, we are always on a hair journey here on OK Sister Podcast. I am always looking for a way to up my hair health game. I love Nutrafol because they have a whole body approach, multi-targets, underlying root causes like stress, hormone
0: fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker and stronger hair. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code OKSYS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair.
1: com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code sis That's Nutrafol.com promo code sis.
0: Okay, a y s i s.
1: Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about.
2: Uh, definitely something I always wanted to do. Like I never thought I would write a memoir. I always wanted to be a writer and I never thought I would get a job on Craigslist that landed me in the Obama White House. So without that reason for writing a memoir, I, yeah, I don't like being the center of attention in that way. I did it. For the book i did it for everyone who didn't get a job on craigslist that landed them in the obama white house because i would have hated that girl except it was me and so i felt like yeah. I to share that experience because it was so special and so unique and I was like okay well if i get to sit on air force one i need to tell everyone what it's like because that's what i get asked every time i go anywhere so that almost felt like a responsibility that i had An exciting one that i always wanted anyway but as far as moving forward no i love occupying a fictional space where i get to create new characters and fall in love with them and i'm not bound by reality you know Mm. telling the truth about my own life and again it's just like oh like writing about myself even though in some ways it was great because it was so honest and i i remembered everything now i don't remember basically anything about the white house but (laughs) i thought i wrote it when i did but no, moving forward, it's such a, I don't know, I read more novels than I read nonfiction. So I can't really imagine going back to, I mean, my life is pretty chill now, which I'm grateful for, but doesn't make for a great memoir. <laughs> yeah.
1: But the thing that I loved about From the Corner of the Oval was that it read like a fiction book, right? It read like this was a story just because it was, I mean, not it was so fun to read, but also kind of frightening to know, like, how normal the people that are and how human they are who run the White House and are behind the scenes. And that writing style and this, you know, you have obviously such a profound and witty voice that translates into this fiction book it's like exactly it feels like I'm like reading a similar vein of a story without the like you know theatrics of of politics but it does feel that way you know
2: that means a lot thank you that's what I'm going for I mean I think I yeah I like I mean the voice that I have is the voice that I have I don't want to mess too much with it because that's what comes naturally but yeah it's yeah moving forward I don't feel the need to write about John Boehner ever again
1: yeah Exactly. So, Rock the Bow is like a quintessential summer read, if you will. Um, I think it's a little more elevated and more sophisticated than that, but thank you. I want, <laughs> but I do want to talk about the genre itself. You know, this on our book club episodes, you know, most of the books I've chosen have been romance novels, only because that's just something I've been really interested in lately. Um, and I also think that. Just because it's a romance novel doesn't mean that it's intellectually inferior or it, you know, is uh, lesser than genre than others. Um, This is not as you can't say they're the backbone of publishing. They're the exactly. They're the best. I mean, I, I definitely had a little shame around it and then I read them I'm like oh wow like these are incredible books and so engaging and, and great. So I mean this one isn't necessarily a romance novel but there is a love story in it. It does kind of read like a little romance in a way and there's that tension there. So I want to ask why this genre? Why specifically as your first fiction book uh, was it important to you to you know come out with something that is a little more playful, a little more light, if you will, than a more serious fiction, if that makes sense. So basically,
2: let's see. I wrote while I was in the Obama White House, From the Corner of the Oval came out in 2018. That was right before midterms. And it was just like, I can't, I was in such a dark place as far as I couldn't believe that we still had... Trump as president, sorry if that's polarizing for your podcast, but that's just how it is. Oh, it's not, it's not. (laughs) Um, And so it was like, okay, if this is going to continue, I really need when I'm writing to be as far away from this world as possible. And so that's why I really wanted to escape to seapoint point. I wanted it to not involve politics because there were so many avenues where I was like, ooh, and then I could lean into this. And it was just like, I just don't think I have the capacity right now. Like I, if I'm going to spend all of these hours, log all of these days working in this town, I just need to be very far away from like the very the darkness uh that was sort of surrounding us at the time and so i wanted it to be about C point i wanted it to surround these characters and who knows going forward but for this book because things just felt pretty dismal it was like everyone gets a happy ending so i've been talking to some other authors and they're like oh like you know you never really know your ending until you get there and i was like no 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 from the outset i was like everyone gets a happy ending here because things from the corner of the oval, things did not land well at the end there. So I wanted just like rainbows and unicorns and hearts at the end of this one to just feel really good. I watch Gilmore Girls every like November when winter is really setting in because I get so sad. And so I wanted Rock the Boat to create the same, provide the same kind of comfort, but in a summer setting.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely an escape and it's definitely a comfort. And that's, that's reason... I love reading these types of books because it does feel like a sense of, I don't know, hope, but just, it does make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, which like, why not? Why not feel that way? Right. I had Christina Lauren on the podcast before, and we were talking about the soulmate equation. And then they, they said the exact same thing where they were like, you know how it's going to end. Everyone's going to get a happy ending. You know how it's going to end. The exciting part about romance novels is that you don't know the path there right you have to bring the reader into twists and turns because they know that they're gonna end up together like obviously I knew Kate and Ziggy it's like we need them we need them together I mean like I have a crush on Ziggy like he's so cute but it's just the the journey that is the exciting part and is what captures it because you know other other novel or other genres you might not know how it ends there might be a thriller it might be a twist but it's like no no it's predictable so let's let's bring the journey let's make the journey more exciting, if that makes sense.
2: The journey, and also, even though we know you know, from the outset, okay, these two, boy next door or girl across the street, yeah. it's gonna happen. We also don't know what's gonna happen to them individually. And so one of the things that I was proud of was like, okay, we're gonna end up with like them seeming pretty into each other, but also they still have their own paths to pursue. And like, they're gonna negotiate it so that both things can happen, but it's not just, they get together and nothing else matters. It's like, they get together and they're also still kind of figuring out who they are
1: as individuals right talk to me about miles because obviously he's kind of like a fuck boy which is great we love that we love that type of you know trope But what type of, what type of, like what what was the inspiration for him there? What what purpose did he serve? I know that he was kind of like a parallel to Thomas. Obviously, Kate brings him to the wedding instead of Ziggy, and he represents something. Also, you know, he represents to Ziggy kind of like a refuge to this financial struggles that he's in. So, why make him? How you made him?
2: So I think I, I approached. My, which you know okay sis so my sister she's yeah. like i love reading the miles chapters yeah. they're like so yummy like they're just like so almost like devilishly good yeah. only because he is he is that guy that we all know and it's like okay he's very attractive he sleeps with so many people he's got his own issues but you can't even take them seriously because it's like everything has just been delivered to him and that said i came at it from i knew a lot of miles when i was living in dc so these guys that just like outwardly is just like, they don't even have to pay for their own flights. You know, like, it's just like, come on. And it just had, like their life seems super, super easy. And then the other thing is that he has a nice character arc. And part of that is because I was reading Kitchen Confidential. Uh, and I was just like, I love Anthony Bourdain so much. And it was, and I've listened to so many interviews with him. And one of his things was like, I was just like this, devil of a kid and a teenager and i was so insubordinate and then i got into a kitchen and all of a sudden it was like these are the dregs of society and i wanted so badly to impress them and i love that idea of you know if there's a workplace or a hobby that you want to improve upon it doesn't matter where it is it doesn't matter the company you're keeping because you get so driven in this one space and so i love this idea of miles kind of coming down from his throne you know the prince of seapoint and realizing oh, okay, even if this means working really hard, that's okay, I want to work really hard. And that's the beauty of finding a job that you love is you're happy to work hard for it. Yeah,
1: 100%. It was was really beautiful to see him discover that. I didn't know where that was going and I was, yeah, I was worried that he would just, because I know that, you know, he's texting Belle, which we know is Bernadette at the end and it's interesting because they don't end up together and so his story was oh, I found a passion that I could, you know, channel all this energy into the energy that he was so obsessed with Bernadette about and putting that love into something external not women but it was it was really great that Bernadette ended up being Belle at the end it was amazing I do want to talk about the sister relationship obviously okay sis I do a podcast with my sister and there is something it felt so real that fight that they had at the end and because every sister knows like there is just a way you talk to your sister. There's a no bullshit. There's a very straightforward way of speaking to a sister and it's very unique. And you mentioned you have a sister. So was that modeled after her, that type of relationship where she, and is your sister older? No, my sister's younger. Oh, wow. She's seven years younger. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm the younger one. So to me, it, it did feel like Scout was Bernadette and she has always like kind of been a a motherly figure to me as well and always like looked after me and made sure that I was okay. So I really felt that kinship. And then, you know, when she turned, you know, she kind of is passive to you a little bit, like you strike back. And that is something that our dynamic really resonates with. So talk to me about the, the relationship with your sister.
2: So my sister is seven years younger. So this is not based on Caroline and me Except for the way that we speak to each other is like, I think sisters are so interesting in that way where if you're close with your sister, and I was just talking with Lauren Weisberger. We did an event, and she has a sister, and her newest book is about sisters too. And it's just like you're always so close to the third rail with your sister. Mm-hmm. Like it's like that honesty that, like at any second, it's just gonna tip. And there, it, you're right. There's no bullshit, which is ninety percent of the time great and what you need. And ten percent, you're like, I just wish you could just be a little, just like a little bit of kid gloves every once in a while. But no. Also, I've always kind of been, I think, because I've always wanted an older sister. I've always kind of chased after slightly older women as friends if you remember from the corner of the like one of my best friends to this day is hope and she's 52 so it's just like I just love older women I think there's so much wisdom and guidance that they can provide uh as long as they're willing to tolerate your idiocy as the younger person uh yeah they have a lot of patience but no I think in general just that idea of having someone so close to you that oh every time you just want them to just be nice to you, that's when they decide to deliver some hard truths. And the other thing is that, you know, Bernadette is pregnant and that kind of shifts things. And I came home from living in DC and basically all of my friends had gotten married, bought houses, and we're having kids and I was just like what I thought this was gonna be so fun you can't even drink coffee with me like let alone like staying out past nine like you can't drink coffee so there was a lot of in that way I felt like that's how I identified with the younger sister which is just like feeling left behind feeling like oh my gosh like everyone has moved on everyone's a total adult and I'm living with my parents which I did you know from 2017 to 2018 and I loved it they basically had to count but that's where all those sisters come from.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's so sweet. And yeah, there's there's something about when you feel, uh, I mean, as a younger sister, I, I identify as that because Scout was always one step ahead of me in terms of like life milestones. And it's interesting to view that and understand that like, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not getting married anytime soon. So, you know, it's just this interesting observation from the side you want to be happy for that person but it's like how do you relate to them when they have all these amazing milestones that they're like accomplishing that you're just not at the same place that's a really interesting dynamic okay we need to talk about Ziggy because I did mention that I have a crush on him and you have said in previous interviews that it was kind of based on someone real or what was the story there?
2: Uh, okay. So in 2015, I'm still working in the White House and I get a call from my mom and I think I'm literally in a motorcade and she's like, I'm not going to be mad, but did you go to the beach house and not tell me? I'm like, no, I don't have time to go. I don't yeah. like do up to New Jersey when I'm on call all the time. Um, we have a strict rule in our house. You can't break book spines. It's my mom's rule. Growing up, it was just like one of those cardinal sins. You do not do it. So you don't put books face down. You use a bookmark every single time. Wow. He had apparently gone to the beach house and next to the bathtub was a book face down, my Thailand book, like a Fodor's Guide to Thailand or something. So she assumed it was one of us and we had broken the book spine, which was a problem in itself. Then she realizes, no, none of my kids did it, which means an outsider did it. And we realized the only person with a spare key because there was no forced entry was the plumber. And so this is like in 2015. So this is all happening like over like a family thread. Like I'm in the motorcade being like, oh my God, how is this going to end? And finally my parents, I think it must be the plumber. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Like it's the off season. He has spare keys to everyone's house in this little beach community. Like Why wouldn't he? And there was, and then like all of a sudden I'm going back in my mind. I'm like, oh, there was that time I came down and like my sheets weren't, like my bed wasn't made when like I always make my bed. So it was things like that. And it was so easy. I could have easily jumped to like, oh, that's like a sleazy move. And he betrayed the family's trust, whatever. As a reflection on my character, I was kind of like, I can see how he would do that. And also (laughs) let's explore that. And what if he's actually a really sympathetic character and he's having a hell of a hard time and we don't even know half the story behind it. So that's how Ziggy kind of, the origin of Ziggy, um, whose father's just died. And he's spending all of this time in other people's houses when they're not there fixing things with his dad. So it's, these other people's houses is where he has all of these memories of his dad. So that's why he starts going, sneaking in. Plus he moved back in with his mom and he can't really bring dates home to his mom's house.
1: Right. So he might as well bring it, you know, to the mansion that he's working on. Yeah. You never got the sense that he was like breaking and entering. Like it, it never felt like a illegal act. It was more so just like, Hey, this is a labor of love. I, this is a project I did with my dad. And like, yeah, I can go in and, you know, change the sheets. It's fine. Like, no one will know. But the interesting thing about the plumber that went to your parents' house, why would he keep the, or she, we don't know. Or get, well, I guess you know if it's a he. Why would he keep the book there? At least, like, cover your tracks and put the book That's back. what was so funny. It was like, he really didn't I mean, yeah. He didn't try at all. I love that. Um, okay, so we're going to end with some rapid fire. I love to ask every author that I have on OKSIS about this. Number one. What does literary success look like to you? Yeah, that was a crazy, that's a crazy rapid fire question. Maddie. Yeah, I don't know if this is rapid fire. This is more so just like- I <laughs> did,
2: I, My thinking on it is that literary success to me looks like having the confidence to keep exploring new ideas, new genres, and not feeling like I have gotten pigeonholed into one idea. I think mm. growing as an author is as important as growing in any other way. So that's what I'm looking forward to.
1: I love that. And yes, we're, please keep writing all the books, um, all the fiction. We want all the stories. Okay. Number two, what is your favorite underappreciated novel or something that you've read recently that you have just loved?
2: Uh, and I don't, it's too bad. I'm not in my normal house. I'm in, I'm in my many other houses. I'm thinking of under, under underappreciated is hard. Right. Cause it's like, that's a dicey one because it's like, who's, according sometimes i'll get listed as like underappreciated i'm like i feel appreciated
1: i was so like one of those I mean, you're appreciated back like you know. i know no i
2: know so it's like sometimes yeah. i'll get you know tagged and things and it's like this is an underappreciated and i'm like oh no i feel very appreciated I, like, yeah huh? yeah so that's why it's like i don't want to go like naming any so i would have to go back into like the the log of like dead authors so i don't offend yeah. anyone living by saying you're so underappreciated no that's really what it's like anyone <laughs> yeah Great, but underappreciated, it's like, oh, unsung. Like, who wants to be unsung?
1: Right, right. Okay, let's skip it. Let's skip it. Don't worry. Okay, number three. How do you select the names of the characters in your book?
2: Ooh, okay. My friend Claire Lombardo, who wrote the most fun we ever had, which is, again, not an underappreciated novel. So I can't say that. Oh, you know what? This is what I did think about it. I think only, I'll say this because I think it should have hit the New York Times bestseller list, but Judy Blundell wrote The High Season the same time that From the Corner of the Oval came out, and we did a few events together, and I love The High Season. I thought that was like the perfect beach read, and it didn't hit the Times bestseller list, and I think it should have. So in that way, that's my margin for,
1: yeah. Great. Okay, so selecting names
2: of the characters. Oh, so Claire Lombardo told me she looks in obituaries. And so I've started to okay. do that. Because I just feel like sometimes my, what I think is an original connection is not. And all of a sudden on like the fourth draft, I'll be like, oh, I named that guy this because I actually met that guy in fifth grade and I hated him. And that's not a great way to do things. I want to be totally detached. So the obituaries is actually really nice, except then you get into all sorts of emotional lockdown there where like then you end up reading about someone's entire life and you're like oh i should name this character after this person just because like they live such a beautiful life and then you realize you don't actually like that name but then you feel obligated because you just read this really nice obituary.
1: Wow. So this, be- this seems like a journey that you have to go on. And- Everything is <laughs> about- a journey, Maddie. Everything is a journey. Everything's a journey. What about like baby name, baby books? No? I don't do baby, baby name books. books. Um, I don't know. I think older people are
2: interest- more interesting as far as, I don't know, the baby That's true. Maybe it's a good idea. I don't know. I'm 34. So baby books are just like their own. Yeah. It's like, yeah. let's not yeah. even,
1: yeah. let's not even go there. Okay. Yeah. What did you... Edit out of the book. Cool. You meant, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned like veering into politics and things like that, but was there anything like specific or a storyline that you edited out? Well, I killed a couple people. Oh, yeah.
2: That was, okay. Initially, it was going to be about four characters, and one was going to be this like burned out actor from LA, and she was way more extreme than Kate. And my agent was like, we really don't need someone that much worse. <laughs> <laughs> <mother Like>, worse. <laughs> yeah she was like kate's enough like we don't want people to put this book down because it's just like made like such unlikable characters so we can just kill her off yeah and then also in the beginning i one of the earliest drafts there was a convent there's a convent in kate may point that has had this incredible history where at one point it was a convalescence home for Black soldiers during the Civil War. And it was like, we don't know what to do with them. They're injured. Let's send them to Cape May Point. And it was like, that's a crazy thing, but also what an incredible part of history. And also just to think about, yeah, all the different layers. And since then it's been like a convent where a bunch of nuns have lived and now it's being given back to the ocean by the Catholic church. None of it makes any sense. Anyway, I'm intrigued by it. And so I had the characters go there, discover a body in a basement. And obviously none of that made it. That was a very early draft, which is such a great... You know, I'm starting on this new book, and it's like, oh, right. Even whenever I feel like I'm locked into something, it could just be
1: the body in the basement of the convent that never, exactly, that it. yeah. writes itself. Um, yes, that would have been a very, very different book if mm-hmm. that was <laughs> the premise. Um, okay. What was the hardest scene to write? Um, I didn't even write it. I tried to write about Zeke dying
2: and couldn't do it. Really? Yeah. And it was just like, I don't need, I was like, I don't need this. That's and true, I don't think my don't. readers need yeah. it. And that's yeah, why Zeke died before the book started. Cause it was like, I I cannot go down that road and also oh so it
1: was it was like him alive and then okay yeah Yeah, that would have been ziggy has a lot of trauma around it
2: and i i keep that light um and so in an earlier draft it was like i was facing my notebook and was like is this where i try to write about it and i was like no i don't think like i just got Mm -hmm. way too upset in a way that i was like I don't want to get this upset. And also based on what I want this speech read to be, I don't think my readers need to get this upset. Like this whole, it was difficult because it's like the whole story in some ways really revolves around Zeke, this one guy who has touched everyone in really beautiful ways and affected everyone's life for the better. And so I was thinking about, okay, we should have those final moments. And I was like, no, we should not.
1: Yeah, because- Honestly, it's a celebration of his life that I think strings it together, right? You see him in various touch points across every single character and the legacy that he has left. And yes, it's devastating for Ziggy and we see him struggle with it, but... I agree. It was more so about his life and his essence and how that impacted the town rather than let's show this like this just yeah, devastating moment. Let's just have him live on in these beautiful yeah. ways.
2: Yeah, and also, you know, his whole thing, because he leaves his son in a tremendous amount of debt and it's right. a really painful realization. At the same time, he, he's so generous across the board, and so is also me trying to communicate that there's more than one way we're all flawed. We don't always get the love that we want or expect. It comes in different ways and from different people. But at the end of the day, like the generosity he gave to all of these different people in the town is so much more than the debt, which
1: really can be taken care of in one way or another, if you ask the right people for help. Right, exactly. And I loved that. The whole theme of, he just needs to ask for help. You know, he, Ziggy kind of went around this back-end way to try to get Miles for it to be his idea to pay off the debt, whereas if Ziggy just came out and just asked like that's such an important skill and a really hard skill to learn especially with something that tremendous to be like hey I need help in this moment and you see Ziggy kind of be vulnerable at the end and just I mean not only with Miles and the reconciliation but then with Kate and then they kiss at the end and it was great I loved it (laughs) and the end yeah okay so you mentioned you're writing another book so what is next for you can you tease anything what do you got Maddie yes I think we are
2: gonna be into it because the next book is about mm-hmm. sisters and ambition
1: yes you're speaking our language this is great the sisterhood is gonna love this yeah I love it so when when do we know when that will be coming out or no
2: Not for certain yet, but I love my editor and she and I are on the same page and we're both really excited about it. So it's definitely like, you know, she's Rock the Boat came out not even a month ago and she's like cracking
1: the whip, which I'm
2: just, which I love. I love a good deadline, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Amazing. So where can everyone follow you just so that they are kept up to date on everything Beck and all your next adventures? Uh, I'm
2: on Instagram at Backdory Stein. I never delved into Twitter, so I feel really good about that because I don't even know what I'm missing, which sounds like a lot of trauma.
1: You're not so. missing anything. Um, I also, yeah, I'm not a Twitter gal, so yeah, you're not missing much. Do you, do you do TikTok? Oh, I do the TikTok. Yes, mm-hmm. I do do it. Good for you. Uh, th- <laughs> good, good way to you.
2: adapt. No, no, no. I'm serious. Way to adapt. I feel yeah, like I've gotten like really I, I don't know the last year with COVID especially it's like oh I'm just watching myself get very outdated very quickly and I'm just sort of sitting back.
1: You know, the the same way you feel about Twitter is like the way it is the way certain people might feel about TikTok like I just my brain thinks in TikTok whereas I don't think everyone's does, you know. And as as I've kind of like gone onto this platform, it, it you have to spend a lot of time on it also To really understand it, and to like feel like you're part of the inside joke. Wait, that's where you're like totally thriving right now. Yes. So I. (laughs) Yes. So basically what happened was I posted a book review, like a romance novel review, and then it went completely viral. And then obviously this is my brand now. I don't know what's, you know, so no, I'm going to, of course I'm going to post one about Rock the Boat. I'll do a little summary and we're going to go viral. We're going to do it. We're going to be TikTok famous. That's very exciting and very nice of
2: you. Thanks for using your TikTok phenomenon on rock. <laughs>
1: superpowers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. Oi. I'm just consistently uh, embarrassing myself on the internet, is usually like how I like to put it. But. I think that's the only way to do it. So, oh, it's literally the only way, exactly. Uh, well, Beck, this was so delightful. I've been wanting to speak with you for so long, Um, and I'm so happy to have met you. And thank you for doing this. And I think all the sisters are loving the book so far, so they're so excited to hear from you. Good,
2: we finally did it, Maddie.
1: Long we time coming. It. Yeah, yes. internet friends become real friends. We hey, love it. Hey,
2: COVID is over, I love California. Hundred
1: percent. Anytime you're in L.A., San Diego, we'll go to Coronado together. I'll show you that it is Seapoint.
2: Cool. Yeah.
1: I love it. All right. Thank thank you you so so much, much Beck. Bye.
2: Bye.